0: O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou madest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest made us him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And I want to take that for our text this morning. Amen. I'm going to have to ask you to. There we go. Psalm 8, verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him? I know this psalm is what they would refer to as a messianic psalm. It speaks of our Lord. But I also think it speaks of mankind. And the psalmist, you know, you can just put your, as I've said many times, your thoughts in his mind and what he thought at the time. And as I thought about this, I thought, you know, someone that you never met before come up to you and said, here's the keys of my mansion. It's not yours. You'll never want for anything. There'll be food as and when you need it. My servants will be there to serve you. I guarantee you the first question you will ask is, why are you doing this? you know, why are you giving this to me? It's, it's just natural in us to wonder when someone does a kind act that we kind of think, well, what are you doing this for? I don't know if it's uh, an Ulsterism, but you kind of wonder, what do they want in return? But if they do it willingly, and if they do it genuinely, we still have that question, why are you doing this? In fact, it's been a long time now from having been able to do one of the salt visits, but the few that i done, every house I went into, the question was, why are you doing this? You know, they couldn't understand why someone would bring food, why someone would bring a card so that they could have electric or, or uh, money that they could get oil. Why are you doing this? And this act of kindness. I think there's no greater act of kindness than what the Lord did for us. And I think the psalmist is asking the question that surely each of us ponder at times upon it. You know, why me, Lord? Why have you done this for me? You see, when you're outside of Christ, men of the world, let's call it, you cannot see this wonderful act and you miss out on this great truth. You know, for many years, as a, an unbeliever, well, not an unbeliever, I always believed there was a God, but a non-Christian. I couldn't understand this act of kindness. It just didn't click with me whatsoever. That the creator of the universe loves mankind. When you look at the vastness of the universe, particularly you've been watching the news with this new a telescope or whatever it is they've sent up in to the skies or into the heavens to find out how the earth began. I could have saved them billions of dollars if they came to me and asked me. I could have showed them from the word of God where it all began. But there we go. But when you look at creation and you think the love of God that he would think of mankind And you would think of mankind despite all the disappointment and sorrow that the human race has brought to their creator. It's a wonder of wonders for me that God could have any thought at all for fallen man. Because it's man, not God, that has brought untold misery into the world. You know, God's handy for people to blame things on. But the reality of the misery in the world was brought in by mankind and sin. And yet the Lord is unbelievably merciful to them. And for me, this great truth demands us to search the Scriptures in order to understand something of mankind. Because we as mankind, we are capable of rising to great heights in worship and adoration of our Creator, as we've done this morning. But you know what the truth is? And it's not politically correct, maybe, to say it but each and every one of us can sink into the depths of moral perversion and sin. What we are capable of doing as a human being, you know, we might think we would never do that. If someone pushes the wrong button, we could do it. God protects us, and as we live for God, we uh, are delivered from these things, but we don't know what tomorrow brings. And we don't know What thing could push the wrong button in us that we could do something which is really wrong? So, what about the beginning? We'll start with the beginning of the human race. And for me, there are four words in the Genesis account of creation that are filled with implication. Could you put one forward for me there? That's it. Let us make man in our image. Now, when we read about creation, we see God is referred to in the plural. And you can go, and there's many debates as to what this word Elohim means. It's the plural name of God in the Old Testament. And what I believe it does, it brings together all the mighty, majestic, and creative powers of God. You know, when the ancient Hebrews wanted to, uh, to, to underscore the greatness of anything, they expressed it in the plural form. And this is what I believe they've done here. And they've shown us that God focused all of his creative genius on mankind. You know, in regard to creation and other aspects, it tells us that God said, let there be. And our first one, Genesis 1 and 3, it's God said, let there be light. And there was light. Then we go to Genesis 1 and 6. It says, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the seas. And then in Genesis 1, verse 14, it said, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night. And so the spoken word, and it was done. God spoke and God said, let it be, and it came to pass. But with mankind, it was different in that God was personally involved. Because you see, God took the dust from the ground And he made a man. Then he breathed into that body the breath of life. And it became a living soul. In the creation of man, we have the fingerprint of God on mankind. We were made in his image. We were made after his likeness. And again, you'll get a lot of different opinions as to what that means. I believe it means God's image when man was created was sinlessness. I don't believe we were made to look like God because God is a spirit. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. So for me, the image of the reflection is that when man was made, he was made sinless. But as we'll see, he fell. And men in their foolish wisdom, they've tried to deny God's existence. And they've set uh, forward what they see as rational theories as to how mankind came to be. And they've strived and will continue to strive until the Lord comes back to try and explain the creation of the universe. Think of the billions of pounds they spent in Geneva and that thing that apparently when it got it up and running, it was going to tell us how uh, everything was created. And we're still waiting on the answer. They, uh, they, they, they can't find this missing part I remember speaking to Brother Sloan once, and he said the missing part's the power of God, so hopefully someday they'll realize that. But some refer to what they call the spontaneous generation theory. And this suggests that there was no creator of mankind, and that people just simply came into being without a cause, out of nowhere, to be here. Then the most well-known one's the theory of evolution, which states that we were originally uh, protoplasm, and pass through a long series of changes to eventually become an ape and then to evolve into a man. You know, some people I'll look at, you kind of wonder where they got there. You kind of know where they got the theory of we used to be apes, but we'll not go down that one. God caused a subtle difference to exist between the creation of humans and animals that placed humans and animals and a different order of creation altogether. Because the Lord gave animals instinct, but he gave men intellect. He gave men intellect. And because of this, amongst God's creation, only humans are capable of declaring praise and worship and adoration towards their creator. And despite all these theories of how we came to be, the Bible gives a different account than these theories give where it tells us that humankind was created by a divine and definite act of God. Humankind was created in God's image after his likeness. And God directly gave humankind life when he personally breathed into man the breath of life. You see, we were created with the capacity for God consciousness. I've told you several times before of a, a, an anthropologist who said that it is an an innate uh, attribute of humans to know there's an existence of a higher power. And he said that if you put two children, two babies on an island, and back many years later when they're grown up, you'll find they'll be worshiping something. So he's saying that in mankind, there is this knowledge that there is a superior being. And in fact, many scientists today will tell you that there are is a superior being. They don't want to admit it's God. And they use all different kinds of uh, words to try and hide the fact that they do believe there is a superior being. And that superior being we know as our, our Lord and Savior. So we see man was created by God. Man has the fingerprint of God. But what about the downfall of man? See, we were made to live in perfect accord with our Creator. We were to live and be at peace with God, with ourselves, and with our environment. But sin broke that blessed position. You know, evolutionists, they state that man is falling upward and one day will emerge as a pure race. The Bible gives us a completely different view. Romans 5 verse 12 Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So because of sin, man has lost that relationship with God and no man ever could or ever will be able to restore it through good works or sacrifice because Adam's sin resulted in the depravity of mankind, which means that every part of human nature has become tainted with sin. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 that men are spiritually blind. It says, But the natural man receiveth not the, th- the, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Like I said at the start, outside of God, I was spiritually blind. And men who, are not, who haven't committed their lives to God, they cannot see this. They are blinded by their sin. Men are corrupted by sin, Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. You know, our heart, we might say, I'm a Christian and I do all this and I, but you know something? In our heart, it is deceitful because we're selfish by nature. We can say we're not and we can try to be and at times we're not selfish and we reach out to others. But you know, in our heart of hearts, if we're honest, it's about us and the things we like and the things we want. And we deceive ourselves if we don't accept that. Men's consciences are dulled by sin. Speaking in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You was as a young man growing up, my conscience was dulled by sin. I did the things that I was doing. I didn't know they were wrong. The things that we got up to as young men, we thought we were doing nobody any harm. Well, maybe not doing nobody any harm, but we thought we weren't doing wrong in the things we did. We were our consciences were dulled by sin. And so where evolutionists say that men are growing stronger and wiser and more perfect. The reality is different. Sin has destroyed mankind. Sin became universal. It was passed to all people and it resulted in the loss of communion with God. There's a gentleman, R.A. Torrey, I don't know if you've ever read any of his works, but he lists five steps in the fall of humanity as is declared in Genesis 3, verses 1 to 6. Put that up for me, please, guys. There we go, thank you. He said that Adam was guilty of listening to slander against God. They were guilty in that they doubted God's word and his love. They looked at what had been forbidden. They lusted for what God had prohibited. And they disobeyed God's commands. And you know, we can look at Adam and point the finger. Or we can do what Adam did and blame someone else. But you know something? We're all guilty of listening to slander against God in our lives. We're all guilty of doubting God's word and his love. And you know, we can say, I believe the word of God. But do we? Because when you're praying for someone who's sick, do you think they're going to get healed? There's people who have been Christians for years will tell you that they don't believe that the Red Sea parted. They will tell you that some of the miracles of Jesus weren't miracles They were just people with mental health problems. And when Jesus came along and touched them, it seemed to some way sort it out. But God's word, we are all guilty at times of doubting it. We're all guilty at looking at what had been forbidden and lusting after that which God has prohibited and disobeying God's commandment. So we can't just put all the blame at Adam's feet. That sinful nature we all inherited. Like I said, the Bible's not saying we're all really bad people. The sin separates us from God. No matter where you are in life and no matter how good a person you are and how charitable you are, how loving you are, how faithful you are to your church, you're a sinner who needs saved. And unless you've ever repented from your sin and turned to the Lord for your salvation... Then you again are doubting God's word because God's word's clear: all men must be born again. So men fell. We've seen that God created man; they have the mankind as the fingerprint of God. We've seen the downfall of the human race. Now I want to look at the regeneration of the human race, for we see provision whereby the human race can be regenerated. Can be restored to fellowship with their Creator. You see, through sin, men lost the image and likeness of God in which they were made. Now, people doubt that and try and contradict that. And when people doubt the Word of God, I quote Charles Kingsley. Charles Kingsley said, uh, Believe the Bible, believe the whole Bible, believe what you can believe by reason, and what you cannot believe by reason, believe by faith. And so by faith, I believe that indeed the Red Sea parted. By faith, I believe that when Jesus healed people, they needed healed, they were sick. By faith, I believe that Jesus did calm the waters and the storms. And by faith, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. We've lost that image of God, that likeness of God because of our sin. And again, we thank the Lord that this can be restored. In Colossians 3, verses 9 to 10, lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. The relationship that was lost, I was going to say, has been restored. Well, it has, but in your life, it can be restored if you've never acknowledged Jesus as your savior. This miracle of regeneration was made possible because of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the true image of the invisible God. Because he took upon himself our human nature. He took upon himself our weaknesses. He was man, as men are, apart from sin, he was sinless. He was perfect in every way. And because of that, he made it possible for the redemption from the consequences of the fall. Because in Adam we die, but in Christ we are made alive. And the Lord, through the Bible and through the convicting power of the Holy Ghost, makes us aware of our sinnership and shows us that we need this new birth in Jesus Christ. Because that's what mankind needs today. That's what men need today. There are men today, and they're lost. They have no hope. They have no joy. just watched a clip last night of a... Uh, I can't remember the man's name. He was uh, always on television uh, way back uh, sort of 70s and 80s. Uh, if any of you has ever watched that program, On the Buses, he was the conductor. And it broke your heart watching this man talk. And in fact, after this interview, which he did, he committed suicide. And just as I listened to him and, and I seen his, you know, his body language, you could just see that there was no hope whatsoever. There was no peace. He was trying to be strong and talk about the, you know, the loved ones and someone had made false accusations against him and he was trying to defend himself. And you know, there are people out there like that the suicide rate in Northern Ireland and in Belfast, and particularly in North Belfast, is the highest in the United Kingdom. We don't hear it in the news every day, but there's suicides near enough every day or every other day in Northern Ireland. Men need the Lord, because without Jesus, there is no hope. And when the problem for me, I see it, is men are looking to men. Men are looking to men for answers. What we need to do is look to our creator who created us, loved us, and gave himself for us. Church, I might have the title of senior pastor. Don't look to me. Look to Jesus. I can certainly pray with you. I can certainly share with you and, and help you in whatever way I can. But I'm not the answer to your problems. Jesus is. Don't look, to our elders. They're nice guys, but they're men. They've limited abilities. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's people stay away from God because they focused on the man or the woman. And that's put them off church. That's put them off God. Look, don't. Men are going to fail you. Men are going to let you down. Sometimes willingly, sometimes unwittingly. But you know something? Jesus never lets you down. And if you focus on Jesus, yes. and if you focus on him and worshiping him and serving him, then you're going to get the blessings in your life. See, Jesus was the only perfect man and therefore the only one who'd, who could restore that relationship through a sinless life, His substitutionary death on the cross for the sins of fallen man. And like I said at the communion table Psalm 8 verse 4 what is man that, you aren't, that thou art mindful of him could you change that this morning as you're watching this here or listening to this here or watching this at home and change that to who am I that thou art mindful of me who am I Lord that I hung on the cross and died for my sins. Who am I, Lord, that you have blessed me, have kept me? You know, we've all got little testimonies we can give. When I look back over the years, I can see God's hand. Mistakes I've made, I've seen God's hand lifting me up and putting me back on my feet. And I ask, who am I, Lord? When I look at the vastness of the universe, now, look at the wonder of creation. Just speaking to a uh, wee man, Jackie, in the home this morning before we had the service. And he was going out for a smoke, even though it's freezing. He was going out for a smoke onto the balcony. So I went out to have a wee chat with him. And he looked across the lock and he says, You know, you picked this place well. I said, Well, it wasn't me that picked it, it was the Lord that picked it. But he was talking about the view. And thinking about what I'm speaking about this morning, i just seen again things that I haven't seen when I've looked out over that balcony. You know, the beautiful trees, the beautiful hills, the snow-capped hills, the ice-capped hills, whatever they are at the moment, the city just going about its business, the rivers, whatever. I just stood there thinking to myself, what a wonderful creator we have. What a wonderful creator we have. All this, and look at the universe, the vastness of the universe, and to think that God thought about me. That God thought about me, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, Her Majesty the Queen, as much as I love her, she hasn't a clue who I am, (laughs) she has no thought for me whatsoever. And the privilege, I told you before, of meeting Prince Andrew, and I still say it was a privilege to meet him despite what's going on in the media. But you know, he probably never even noticed me. But the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, he noticed me. And he died on the cross for my sins. And he died on the cross for your sins. And I want you to take a look at him this morning. Just take a look at the Lord and where you are have you gone cold as things maybe in your life tainted you put you off a wee bit well look to God this morning because he's like this, the, the, the father of the prodigal son you know it says that he stood looking and I could see him standing beside under a tree maybe in the shade of the day standing there his heart breaking looking for his son to come back and just think of God with his arms open wide, waiting on you to come back, like the prodigal's father, not wanting you to pay for what you've done, not wanting you to make remission and and give all the money back that the father had given, just with welcome arms, he received him, and there was rejoicing in his house at the prodigal who had come back to the Lord. My prayer this morning is that everyone here will consider that. And if there is any, have gone cold. And as you look at Jesus this morning and realize what he's done, that it just stirs up your heart again to love him and to serve him. If you've never made that commitment to the Lord this morning, why not make it? Why not make it even now while you're sitting there? As the musicians come back, you mightn't understand everything. But you know something? It's like I said. Your eyes are blinded. It's only when you turn to Jesus that he reveals himself to you. I, often, I always quote Job. Uh, I think it's uh, Job 42. There's a verse which says, Father, before I've heard of thee with the hearing of mine ear, but only now doth mine eye see thee. I heard about God. Went to Sunday school. Went to the boys' brigade told all about the Lord but it was only that Sunday night November 1981 that I began to see him and began to realize almighty God loved me and gave himself for me let's stand in his presence and come on let's worship the Lord together if you're here this morning I'm not going to ask anyone to come out you'd like to know more or like to talk to us just come forward and talk to us after this service we just take our time sharing with you, if you want, praying with you, and hopefully leading you to the Lord. Let's worship Him together.